This is Shane with Radical Rocks. Tonight we have an awesome show picked out for you tonight, a great episode. We are going to talk about Chrysocolla. Um, we'll talk a little bit about its makeup and an area where there is just lots of Chrysocolla scattered all over. And uh, we'll talk about how you can do a little research on that. Also, we're going to talk about radioactive rocks. And not just radioactive rocks, but how to collect them, what tools, um, handling, storage, things like this. Also, we're going to talk about meteorites. We're going to talk a little bit about meteorites, um, actually uh, talk about them and the difference between them and asteroids and meteors. We're going to talk about um, some of uh, a meteor that was just discovered in Germany, kind of interesting. We'll have a quick little section on fossils and a couple human interest stories that, of course, have to do with gems, rocks, and minerals. And I believe there was one other thing in there, how to tell if a diamond is real. Kind of a little flow chart, if you were, or if you would, to help you do that. But before we get into it, guys, I want to thank you for all your likes and shares and subscribes. And when you um, go to our YouTube videos, um, those likes are the blue things. And, you know, every site has its own way of liking it. We appreciate that. That attention helps us get the word out there because we are doing a really big job of educating people, getting new people on board, learning about rocks, gems, and minerals, reaching out to the communities, and um, to kids, too, getting the interest to them because this is important, it's enjoyable, and uh, while everybody's all locked up uh, around the world, it gives you something to do. You can even dig around in your own rock, in your own yard. We're going to actually talk about how to look for meteorites in your own backyard. Okay, um, but we would ask that you would go to our blog, which is located at radicalrocksusa.blogspot.com, and I'll leave that description in the podcast and uh, also our MeWeed site. You can get all our links on the blog, though. We have all of those there for you to check out, or if you look up Radical Rocks, we should turn up on most of those as well. All right. Um, with that, let's get right into it. Um, today, we're going to get right into Chrysocolla because I just happen to have that information sitting in front of me. The classification of Chrysocolla, this is a beautiful blue material, sometimes green, sometimes blue and green. Uh, it is made up of uh, copper um, copper silicates. Uh, sil silicites is uh, better when it is siliconized. It is harder. When it doesn't have as much silica in it, um, it can be more crumbly. It's all different qualities and grades of, of chrysocolla. So if you've seen chrysocolla one or two times, you might be surprised at all the variations of this beautiful um, gemstone that is becoming more and more popular and it's actually getting a lot harder to find. Um, 10, 20 years ago, we used to go out and find, find little pockets of chrysocolla all over. Um, those days seem to be, for the most part, gone. Now, if you go to Mindat um, website, mindat.org, you can see that um, the different um, materials that are made up of, that make up chrysocolla. Um, its luster is uh, waxy, earthy, kind of slippery. It can be translucent to opaque. If it's of a low quality, um, it's not going to be translucent or opaque. It's going to be solid. Um, it can be shiny. It can be grainy. It comes in all different qualities um, and grades. But of course, 
the more jimmy it is, the more um, value is to the stone and the more rare that it is. And when you start to get these translucent varieties or these opaque um, varieties of chrysocolla, it can be very, very valuable. Now, it comes in different colors, like we said, um, greenish, blue, um, bluish green, blue, blackish blue, black, brown, and rarely yellow colors can be involved. The streak is typically light green. Sometimes it could be a black or a yellow for uh, yellow varieties or, of course, black varieties. It's about two and a half to three and a half on the hardness scale. Now, if it's really um, siliconized, of course, it's going to be harder. Okay, um, it can be brittle, um, especially the sites, uh, the specimens that are not um, really tightly crystal formed, but more uh, grainy and solid and hard like a rock. Those can be kind of grainy and brittle. Um, when it breaks, it can be uneven and hacky. The fracture. Um, but if it's really high quality, it can be kind of like a jasper and kind of a, a, a conical um, chips can come out of it if you break it, like glass, kind of similar. Okay. Um, what else is interesting to tell you about the makeup? Um, it says here also that uh, it's often found as a crystal crystallite, an amorphous bitroidal aggregates and crust. Now, when you find it in a bitroidal form, which is like bubbles, um, that is really usually the higher quality stuff. Sometimes you can even see it forming uh, in crystals, in fibrous forms. Those are extremely rare and very collectible if you can find them. Now, if you go, um, there's all sorts of names for chrysocolla, but chrysocolla is the most common name here in uh, the United States. You can go to uh, Mindat. Dot org and look up chrysocolla and you will see a lot of those different definitions and information. Now, I just looked at uh, chrysocolla in Arizona and some 400 and almost 450 photos came up of different specimens around Arizona. Um, Bisbee, there's a beautiful variety there that has this uh, black with reddish, which is probably like a wolfenite um, or something like that. And then the blue is around the outside edge. It's just gorgeous. Another one from the Bluebird Mine um, uh, in the Miami Inspiration Mining District uh, and also in the Globe Miami Mining District in Gila County, Arizona. Uh, is a beautiful uh, dark blue, like azurite blue with a lighter... Um, more of a color you would expect from a chrysocolla and even some reds through it and quartz. From Eagle Eye Mine, there's an example of some chrysocolla forming little hairs, um, these little um, crystallite um, forms, which this is an extremely rare way to find it, but there's several areas in Arizona where it can be found like that. Um, malachite with chrysocolla can be found in the Old Dominion Mine. Um, over in Globe County again in the Globe Miami Mining District. The Eagle Eye Mine has found some spectacular um, dark blue chrysocolla with little spheres shooting out of it that are more clear and translucent uh, in the New Water Mountains in La Paz County. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful specimens. Now some yellow variety with blue with the little hairs or sp you know spikes or needles as it were also found at the Eagle Mine Moore Mine Group 
um, in the New Water Mountains in La Paz County in Arizona. Just beautiful. Um, the traditional um, one that sometimes we see market marketed as chrysocolla in the mineral specimens where you have the azurite um, little bubbles or little nodules all over and then you have the green malachite nodules all over um, something that looks more traditional like that found in the copper mountain area in the greenly uh, county um, at copper mountain mining district in green greenly county arizona now another one that's pretty cool it looks like the stalagmite forms um, several of them together. These are a, kind of a baby blue, very chrysocolla color, and these specimens have been found also in Mineral Creek at the Dripping Springs Mountain Mining District in Pinnell County, Arizona, and those are really beautiful too. Um, now some of the more traditional stuff that I found is uh, shown uh, like a malachite chrysocolla. Sometimes you can find this on hematite such as in the New River Mining District of Maricopa in uh, Arizona of course. And then um, the green where you see it kind of more of a surface um, type chrysocolla. We find that a lot. That's very common in Maricopa County at the um, Quinn Sable Line in the New River Mesa um, New River Mining District in Arizona. Um, but we could go on and on. Um, a beautiful example of some chrysocolla in California is at the Copper World Mine and another mine that uh, produces this really rich azurite streaks with the green um, chrysocolla through it. Uh, is also seen uh, not just at the Copper World Mine in California, but at the Van Dyke Mine. This is in the um, Miami, Miami Inspiration Mining District, again in Globe, uh, Globe County, Gila County, excuse me, Gila County in Globe, Miami uh, Mining District. So those are really neat. Now I'm going to look for a bitrudal one here. Um, there's a really rich, thick one, too, that you can find at Mineral Creek um, in the Dripping Spring Mountains in uh, Penal County, which is a beautiful dark, dark blue, um, just rich and thick. And But a bitrudal one, you can see uh, in, in, in an op, uh, opaque, you know, style where it is somewhat translucent can be found at the Mystery Mine in Gleason, uh, the Turquoise Mining District in Coachese County, Arizona. Now there's other places where um, the bitrudal can be seen too. Of course there's that, uh, it looks like a Sonora type um, chrysocolla where the, you have the chrysocolla, you have the azurite, um, the green and the blue, and then you have the red. That is a, a lot was been sold as a uh, Sonoran um, chrysocolla or a Sonoran um, jasper. I'm not sure what, but it's Sonoran and it has the red, the blue, and the green. Something very similar to that was found at the Raleigh Mind uh, Painted Rock Mining District in the Painted Rock Mountains, Mountains in Maricopa County, Arizona. So um, just beautiful. I advise if you're a Chrysocolla fan, go look at this website. There is some spectacular, um, there's a beautiful bitrudal in the Tombstone Mining District in Cochise County, Arizona. Um, just many, many beautiful Chrysocolla specimens there. If you weren't already in love with uh, Chrysocolla, 
you will be amazed at all the different variations and varieties that you can find. Some of these can sell for hundreds and hundreds of dollars for even small specimens that uh, have this beauty and rarity to them. There's some beautiful um, bitrudal uh, formations that are in the shape of a sphere. They're round like a little marble from the Johnson mine um, in Coahe's, uh Mining District, the Little Dragon Mountains, Coahe's County, Arizona. Just wow, blow you away. They're so pretty. All right, so that's about it for Chris Acola. Let's get into some more of our wonderful subjects today that, uh, here we go. All right, first of all, um, I want to talk about, uh, I always like to give a shout out to any um, clubs or individuals or human interest type things. One of them is in the uh, wweek.com magazine, the Willamita Week. Uh, It's a newspaper, like an online newspaper. And it said that uh, there was an arts and cultures events and they're congratulating winners and finalists of the best Portland Reader's Poll 2020. So uh, Portland, this is going to be Portland, Oregon. And there was a nice honorable mention for Best Museum. And it was the Portland Art Museum. And the runner-up was the Rice Northwest Museum of Rocks and Minerals. So it's always nice to see somebody get uh, a little attention when it comes to rocks and minerals. Another little human interest story that you might be interested in is there's actually going to be another movie about kind of around the title or around a gemstone. And this one is, uh, you can find it in a variety of places, but variety.com, it is on there. It's an article written by Christopher Vorlidis, and uh, that was written on the 22nd. Orange Studios boast female lead futuristic thriller Tanzanite. Uh, a movie about the mystical powers of this Tanzanite uh, around a uh, person who was living in uh, Africa, I believe. Kenya, yes, in Kenya. Uh, it's a futuristic film where this girl digs up this beautiful gemstones. It's uh, mesmerizing, and it becomes the center of all these uh, exciting activities and uh, fighting and uh, you know power and things like that. So uh, the the person who wrote this was raised between Rwanda and Switzerland, so has a really interesting perspective on this, and that might be something fun. It looks like it's going to be kind of a, um, you know, maybe not at the movies, but kind of more of a uh, artsy type uh, of a movie. But you can look that up if you're interested in it. Orange Studio, the movie's called Tanzanite. You can look that up if that's something you're interested in. Now here's a. Let's see. Bravest Man on Earth. Uh, This article was on ASAPland.com. That came out um, recently here. And the story, again, is about the young boy, um, Bridger, who saved his sister's life, putting himself between him and a dog that attacked her. Um, The dog really ripped his face up. And uh, he had to have like 90 stitches on his face. We talked about it um, in our video uh, on YouTube. And we actually set up a gift box for him because come to find out he's a big gemstone fan. And the article talks out that uh, Chris Evans here of Captain America gave him a shield. And um, 
since it was uh, made known that he was interested in rocks, he's received a lot of uh, wonderful rocks and stones from various parts of the United States. So I'm glad to say that um, our package full of rocks and uh, stones is on its way to him. I hope it's something he enjoys and learns from. And uh, I thought that was a pretty neat story. So let's see. Next. Okay. Extension plan um, for stamp coin and collectibles and lapidary club. I thought this was a human interest story too. Um, I just bumped into it. It's written on the westernadvocate.com.au. So it's going to be in Australia. This article is written on July the 22nd. And basically what's happened here, they're talking about this club that um, is doing um, its Bathurst Stamp Coin Collectibles and Lapidary Group. Um, they're opening up, you know, they've been dealing with uh, the probably the shutdown, and they've got a new area, a new uh, area for their shop and everything. But I thought, you know, this is kind of interesting, um, maybe something to think about if you're a club and you're struggling here. They are bringing in a variety of different people here, stamps, coins, collectibles, club, plus lapidary. I don't know if that's the combination, but if you're a club and you're struggling, I would just say, you know, think outside the box and try to figure out other ways to um, bring people in with jewelry and beading and um, whatever else you can think of that might be related to that. Maybe crafts of different types, maybe stamp collecting, who knows, maybe coin collecting, I don't know. But I thought it was a good article and um, something that we need to think about is stay diverse, bring in crowds of people, and uh, hopefully there'll be some crossover all right, let's talk a little bit about fossils before we get into the meteorites, which is really some cool information. And also we're going to talk about how to tell if your diamond is real just with the basic uh, tools and how to look for uh, uh, meteorites. Got some ways of trying to look for meteorites that you might be interested in. Here in uh, San Diego, uh, there is an article in the texarcanagazette.com. Um, course that's not in San Diego but it says also they're looking at the San Diego um, Union Tribune that's what they took it from um, it was written on the 21st but they dug up some uh, ancient camels and a bunch of other ancient animals really interesting article where they were digging up uh, for the freeway here um, and they talk about all these different animals that once roamed in this area and they found quite a few fossils. They've stopped uh, digging up the freeway. I think it's for the 54 freeway extension um, that they're doing. And um, they've got camels and they've found bones of uh, various uh, mammals, horses. They found horses they claim are over 3 million years old. Um, all sorts of different animals. So you never know what will turn up. Um, and uh thought that was pretty cool. I wanted to share that with you. Another fossil discovery. Um, where is it here? Hmm. Flying fish-eating reptile. Um, this was uh, discovered in Mexico. It's the first one of its kind in Mexico. And uh, it looks like a giant pterodactyl. But uh, they say it was the first one that was found there and uh, previously unknown to that area. And, uh, you know, those things are really huge. Borders really close to Texas, but uh, an exciting find for them. They have a picture of it here and uh, an article on this giant flying bird, uh, fish-eating reptile, which uh, looks like a pterodactyl. 
and you can look that up on the Mex MexicanNewsDaily.com if you want to dig into that some more. Okay, I think we shall go into uh, oh radioactive rocks. I forgot about that. We want to go into radioactive rocks at uh, rock and the letter M. Uh, in, I mean, rockingym.com. We've got an article here that was written July the 24th, Hot Rocks, a rockhound's guide to radioactivity. Now, when I used to do metal detecting, a hot rock was a rock that contained a lot of metal, and it would give off a signal, and you would think, oh, you know, maybe I found some gold, maybe I found some coin, and it would just be this mineralized rock, which a lot of times those, you know, you want to look at them because you never know what they might be. Um, but this hot rock is hot because it's radioactive. Now, you know, when I think about radioactive, I think, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. That's dangerous. But uh, in reality, there's a lot of radioactivity around us all the time. In fact, on a sunny day, the radioactivity levels can actually go up. And this is something that is actually measurable. But some of these mineral specimens um, that are of radioactive materials are becoming very collectible. They're calling it the Great Uranium Rush, and this was written about in the Rock and Gym of April 2017, where um, these prospectors are actually making a ton of money going through some of these old uh, mine dumps and uranium dumps, looking at these samples that could be worth millions of dollars. So, um, you know, not very many people got rich off of it, but I'm sure some people did um, look into this, and there's still an opportunity for that. Um, you probably aren't going to find a million-dollar uranium deposit, but you could maybe find a nice collection um, of radioactive minerals. So we're going to talk about identifying um, radioactivity, understanding it. Of course, you know, there are some things that are going to be dangerous, but um, a lot of these things are not all that bad if you follow a few safety precautions. All right, so these gamma rays um, make up a high frequency shortwave at the end of the electromagnetic spectrum, which is a broadband of radiation energy that includes radio waves, microwaves, infrared waves, visible light, ultraviolet light, x-rays, alpha and beta particles. Um, are not forms of electromagnetic energy, but alpha radiation refers to positively charged, high-energy, low-mass particles that consist of two neutrons, two protons, which uh, these beta particles can have a negative or positive. Negative-charged beta particles are high-speed electrons, while positively-charged beta part uh, particles um, are going to be uh, like... Uh, part of it and then there's antimatter which is the counterpart of electrons so basically what does this mean well radioactive things are going to give off these radioactive particles these alpha particles these beta particles these gamma rays and things like that they're forms of radiation that are moving and traceable okay I won't go into it too much but you can read the article if you want to find out more of it but many rocks especially um, igneous rocks associated with granite granite gives off radiation 80% um, of the earth's heat is produced by atomic um, uh, degeneration or the 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 breakdown of uranium and, and thorium and elements of isotopes in their atomic D decay chains. So there's actually heat generated from this activity that's going on. 
Now, of the 92 occurring elements, only 11 are radioactive. There's uranium and uh, thorium, which are relatively abundant, okay? Now, these different discoveries were really big around uh, the late uh, 1800s, and um, there was a big push for these up until the 50s, you know, during the Cold War and all those things when, when we had this uh, big threat of uh, this big fight between Russia and America and Cuba and all that going on. So there's a lot of these mines, and they talk about a lot of them here. And uh, so in the 20th century, more and more became known about uranium. Now, when they started working with uranium and doing these atomic explosions out in the desert, some of these produced um, glass and radioactive you know, items became um, radioactive and those items can still be found and you, most of them are very low grade and they are not uh, dangerous but you should you know take precautions that we talk about um, okay now if you want to check for uranium of course you know there's several tools that you can look for um, some of the things you want to search for are uranianite and karenite um, and different uh, materials that you can look for that are collectible. These are low-level radioactivity that are traceable and fairly safe. Now, some of these radioactivity can be seen in like smoky quartz. Uh, can be seen in purple fluorite, halite, brown topaz, yellow and brown calcite are often caused by some uh, form of radiation that affects them. So these all have small amounts of uranium or the thorium that you know gives off this uh, radioactivity um, that you can actually detect with a Geiger counter or something else. Now zircon and zirconium, silicate, and other materials also are connected to radioactivity. So there's a lot of different things and you can explore and uh, find out all these things. <clears throat> now if you want to detect it, um, there's a wide range of sensing of instruments where you can sense it. Excuse me, let me get a drink here. Uh, monitors and Geiger counters and different things to trace radioactivity and they can begin at only $40 on up you can spend thousands of dollars but one that will work good generally costs between 200 and 700 dollars will do a good job the author here recommends the raid rate alert uh it's r-a-d-a-l-e-r-t that's a trademark name and um, has a link on the website where you can look at it again that's uh rock and just look under um the hot rocks and you can see all these links on this. I would definitely recommend subscribing to Rock and Jim. I do. It's a wonderful magazine. Um, they don't give me anything to say this. I just think it's a one of the tools in your toolbox um, that you should have. So at sea level, your count uh, is going to be about 13 uh, counts per minute. When this radiation meter is going to give you these counts, you can read it out. Or uh, some of them have beeps. You know, the, the old type has beeps. But as you go higher up, you have cosmic radiation, so you're going to have not 13 counts, but 30 counts per minute. So you can see these different radiations. If you happen to be during a sunspot or something, this can increase um, the cosmic radiation. So you would be able to use this um, with uh, smoky quartz. Sometimes there has detectable traces of radioactivity, um, gadolinite. 
monzonite and other rare earth minerals have levels that are easily detectable and um, usually they will have a canary yellow um, karenite um, type yellowish green uh, is a tin light and then uh, green turbine night and radiation monitors are going to sound off with hundreds or maybe even thousands of counts per minute with your detector. There's also radioactive glass we talked about. Um, you can collect this out in the desert where some of the nuclear, the atomic detonations took place in New Mexico at the Trinity site. Um, people sell these things and they have uh, easily um, detectable levels of radiation. Now the precautions is only collect small specimens. Um, little tiny specimens. You don't want big giant ones. You know, you got to grab with both hands. Most of these are just little tiny in a, a little tiny box. Um, also, if you're breaking them down, oh my gosh, you know, don't breathe that dust. For God's sake, that's horrible. If you're digging in these areas, do not get any dust because that dust will wedge in your lungs. And um, it is radioactive. Even if it's a low level, that would be very, very bad. So, it's absolutely necessary to be careful and uh, cover yourself and if you get dust on you you know don't shake the dust off that is something you would not want to do that would be very very bad but um, they're beautiful colors bright yellow um, uh, specimens are shown here on the website um, you don't want to go into the enter the mine itself because those are unvented mines and they're going to have high concentrations of the radioactive gas which is known as radon and that is uh, not good. But uh, there's two museums in New Mexico that you can check. Um, the Brandbury Science Museum uh, at uh, Los... Uh, this one is in Los, An Los Alamitos. Um, and then the National Nuclear Museum of Science and History in Albuquerque. They both have wonderful examples of these minerals that you can collect. And um, Trintitite... Trintite is a quartz sand fused by the 3,000 degree heat of the first atomic detonation in New Mexico's Trinity site. Um, still exhibits some radioactivity and is pretty collective. So um, if you want to find out more about that, just go to the article at Rock and Jim, and it's the letter N in the middle, and um, look up Hot Rocks, a Rock Hounder's Guide to Radioactivity. You can sign up for their newsletter, and they actually sent this to me in the mail, so that's pretty cool. All right, let's find out how to check for uh, diamonds, okay? Um, where was it? How to tell if a diamond is real. If you go to um, www.legit.ng, there is an article called How to Tell if a Diamond's Real, a simple test you can do at home. It was written by uh, Carol Karen, and they she has a beautiful little trouble testing kit here that you could actually print out. Um, the line test, you draw a line on a piece of paper. If it's not visible, um, it is not visible, so you just draw a line on a piece of paper and set the diamond right over the line. When you look through the diamond, um, it says it's not visible when real diamonds are placed on top, but is visible if it's fake. Okay, so fake one, um, you're going to see the line. A real one, the line's going to disappear. And when you turn the diamond upside down so that its face is on the line, okay, uh, there's a water test. You can put the diamond in water. If it sinks, um, then it could be real. And if it's fake, it's going to float. 
a magnifying glass, a real diamond has imperfection. Fake is going to be flawless. So the loopering, um, we put out a, a, a blog. You go to radicalrocksusa.blogspot.com. I got a great loop there that has a built-in light that you can order. It doesn't cost you any extra, and it helps the channel. You can go to that, our latest blog, and check that out. Um, the fog test. Fog dissipates right away on a real diamond, but it lingers on fake. Now, I've got a sandpaper test here. Be careful with this one. A real diamond is not going to be scratched by sandpaper. Um, sandpaper is typically made out of um, corundum. Uh, it's kind of hard. Or usually it's made out of a, like a garnet material, which is a little softer. I would be very careful um, using sandpaper. But uh, that's one thing you could do if you wanted to uh, at your own risk. The read-through test. Um, this is kind of like the line you turn the diamond upside down on words and it's impossible to read through a real diamond where a fake diamond you might be able to read through it. The sparkle test um, there is bright shimmers of white light that bounce off a real diamond and then there's the heat and fire test a real diamond conducts heat well but a fake shatters when heated. Now I don't know anybody personally who has taken a torch to a diamond but that's what they are displaying here in the picture I wouldn't recommend it, but that's what they're saying here. And then there is the ultraviolet test, a real diamond fluorescence and turns blue under an ultraviolet light. Now, I know that some, some diamonds do highly fluorescent, um, others do not. Some barely fluorescent or don't fluorescent at all. So this test um, is, uh, you know... Uh, can help somewhat, but uh, I don't know that it's going to be 100%. So this is greatly, certainly some good tips to um, be able to narrow it down. And uh, it goes into detail on these tests. If you want to read more about it, um, you can. It is www.legit.ng. Okay. Now we're going to go into... Um, some articles that I think, oh shoot, I think I just closed one of the wrong ones. Okay, well we'll try to do it anyway. Um, we're going to go into some really cool information on meteorites. Um, also, I had several articles out, but I just accidentally closed some, but hopefully I can remember what they are. Um, another article in Rock and Jim by Steve Voynick um, that was written on July 24th called Rock Science, Meteors and Meteorites. Now, this article goes in-depth on meteors, um, talks about the very first meteor that uh, was documented, and believe it or not, that happened in 1492, which should be an easy year to remember, where most of us were taught that's when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Now, this meteorite flew into France in the uh, Al Alsace region, I'm probably saying that wrong, and it was a big one. It was uh, two, uh, almost two foot in diameter and the townsfolks when it fell they didn't know what to think you know they were kind of scared so they chained it to a tree to prevent it from escaping um, but they found it um, and they kept it years later um, some Spanish soldiers saw a, a boulder fall from the sky so it was um, it was glowing and um, they thought, uh, they, they were just amazed. Oh, it's actually natives saw it fall to the sky. And when the Spanish soldiers saw that, they, they couldn't believe it. So they thought that there was an outcrop of metal 
um, but they couldn't find it. They named they named the meteorite Iron Mine, is what the translation is, and they were sure there was a deposit of uh, high grade iron, but then they never did find it because it came from the sky. So back in the early days, there wasn't a lot of meteorites, but lately um, there's been many, 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 many more that have been found and collected. Um, one uh, in uh, 1794. Uh, in 1795, a 56-pound meteorite hit Yorkshire, England, and it was when it was found, it was still hot and smoking. A farmer found it; he couldn't believe it. And when the scientists came, they they didn't believe what he was saying because by the time they got there, it was all cooled. They were like, "Oh no way! Was that thing hot? No way did that thing come from the sky." So we've come a long way since then. Um, now we see them all the time. Um, there's a picture of part of a slice that is backlit where you can see green glowing from it because it's from Chile um, and it has these grains of olivine in it. So even glass from space. Typically, um, the uh, meteorites, this is some extra information that I looked up. Um, there was also in the human interest, there was a meteorite that landed in Germany and I think I closed the page on it, but uh, it seemed like it was a pretty big one. It was a large one, and I forget how big it was, but I accidentally closed the article. So you'll have to try to look that up if you want to Google uh, meteorites from Germany. Now, some of the other things that I remember reading that I accidentally closed my pages that I had looked up um, is that these asteroids um what's the difference between meteors and meteorites okay now the one way to to remember it is meteors they die they burn up so when you look up and you see a shooting star um most of the time that shooting star is just going to burn up in the atmosphere there's going to be nothing left now sometimes you get what's called a uh, a a bull die a bull a bull it's B-O-L-I-D-E, bolid, maybe it's a bolid, and what that is, that is a meteorite, a meteor uh, that is flying, a meteorite that's flying through the sky, gets in the Earth's um, atmosphere, and then it explodes, it explodes, so there may or may not be any pieces after that, it may just burn up, maybe there'll be um, showers. Now, the meteorites those are the ones that live those if it's a meteorite it's all right you're going to find it somewhere maybe a meteorite it actually came into the earth's atmosphere and made it and landed and hit the ground so that's the difference between meteors and meteorites now what's the difference between um meteors and um and meteors are just flying around they're meteors when they're flying around they're not meteorites until they hit the ground so what's the difference between a meteor and an asteroid? Um, some meteors are really uh, kind of asteroids. Asteroids typically have a tail, and they really can lose that tail after a while. So the thought is, is that meteors are older, and um, they come from more rocky and iron materials where meteorite or uh, asteroids actually are from way out uh, far away from our sun or anything like that. They're made up of other materials such as water and other things that burn off and that's what causes the tail is vapor or something actually burning off as they go through the atmosphere and actually when they get near the sun that's when they flare up the heat that they that causes the gases and 
um, the vapor to, to let off is from our sun. So once that all burns off, then those asteroids um, then become meteors. Now, some of these meteors are floating through the sky, and they're so they they may only be as big as uh, you know uh, a few pounds or or whatever you know, or they could be huge, as big as a football field. And uh, some of them are so big that they actually have their a moon flying around them. So it's crazy. Um, now comets um, again have the tails. Asteroids are just huge. They're way bigger than meteorites. Um, they um, can be usually spotted in the sky um, as a large body of uh, of rock. But once an asteroid goes into our atmosphere, it becomes a meteorite because it's not going to burn up before it hits the ground. It's going to be big enough that it's going to hit the ground. All right. So comets have water vapor and gases that burn off and create the tail because they're close to the sun, which heats it up and makes a vapor or a fire or fiery tail. Uh, comets that burn up all those uh, energies and minerals, um, if there's any solids left to them, those would become uh, asteroids or meteor meteorites. Asteroids are larger bodies that once they enter um, uh, into the earth they become meteorites and meteors are what burn up in the sky now if you want to collect meteorites it's said that uh, there's a, a probably at least one every square mile or maybe more every square mile of the earth um, some areas more so than others there's all kinds of them in the ocean that haven't been found but you can look for them with just a magnet um, that's a good way to find the iron meteorites all right um, I think that is about it for today's episode. I just want to thank you guys for tuning in. Please go to our blog. Please like and share and subscribe and help keep rock hounding alive. RadicalRocksUSA.blogspot.com. I'll leave it in the description. And with that, remember, rock hounds don't die. They petrify. <laughs>